Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Triple over the top, Wilson against Gomez. Wilson gives Gomez a little nudge. Referee's happy. Wilson carries on. Edge of the penalty area. Here's Billing on his right foot, not his stronger side. Lerma outside him. Here's Jefferson Lerma. Yeah! And here's a goal for Callum Wilson. The flag stays down in the six-yard box. Eight minutes gone. Lerma sets it up. Callum Wilson silences the clock. And Bournemouth might be piling on Liverpool's misery. It's Liverpool nil, Bournemouth one. Hello and welcome to episode number 81 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis and although this episode isn't sponsored, what you're hearing now... Oh, it's the sound of a Barocca. Oh yeah, overindulged quite majorly this weekend. Um, But sometimes I find that the footballing weekend as a whole supersedes... The actual 90 minutes that we're there for. Had a great time, pre and post match drinks. Uh, went to the Cavern Club and did all the uh, did all the classics that you're supposed to do on the Saturday night. And um, overindulged. Had a, had a baby Guinness shot. First time I've had one of them. Uh, many a beer was had, but yeah, it was um, it was a really good weekend. And we travelled up more in hope than expectation. I've got to say, uh, a backlash was wholeheartedly expected from the home side after their recent defeats to Atletico, Watford and most recently Chelsea. Still, just short of a thousand of us travelled and in this podcast we have got all the audible moments from the weekend's antics in Liverpool. Plus there are your audio submitted reactions too. Now, with my hoarse voice, um, I'm taking a bit of time off. So this week, Jeff Hayward is being passed the back of the net baton and will be joined by Tony or Mr Tiggs to me and you as the boys go over that 2-1 defeat. Then later in the show, they'll go on to preview the forthcoming match against Crystal Palace as the Cherries look to pick up some more vital points in a home match. Uh, Most people have got it down on their survival predictors as must win. Our relegation rivals Brighton didn't manage to pick up anything at home against the Eagles recently, but can AFCB? Also, not sure whether you've seen it on the YouTube channel, but sandwiched in between this, uh, we've also got a chat with Chris Temple, famed for his work on Radio Solon, AFCB TV, South Today, to name but a few. Um, His portfolio's a little bit different these days with uh, being uh, the match day announcer at Wembley and doing the Cricket World Cup, Tokyo 2020 um, and all sorts of bits like that. But also just what we got a bit of a behind the scenes chat about all things AFCB. And thanks for everyone who submitted questions to him. You can hear some of his responses on this very pod. But first, as ever, it's time for this. So you may have been watching the uh, terrific 
uh, Harry Redknapp documentary about sandbanks on ITV recently. Um, I've seen the second episode. I think there's uh, been three out. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it's um, all very interesting. I think uh, BPC Council or BCP, whatever it is, are going to be loving this free advertising that they're getting. Um, the last one I saw, he was at, he was at the Polo, and um, there was a brief clip of his son Jamie. Now, of course, Jamie is one of a number of AFC Bournemouth players that have eventually made their way to Anfield from Dean Court. And uh, Jamie, in fact, is the subject of this weekend's pod with three related questions. So these are they. Question one. How much money was Jamie signed for by Liverpool in 1991? So what was the transfer fee when he joined Liverpool from the Cherries? Question two. Which manager signed Jamie Redknapp for Liverpool? And then question three. Under which manager did Jamie Redknapp actually make his Liverpool debut? So it's the transfer fee, who signed him and who played him first. Good luck with those questions. Uh, You'll hear the answers at the end of the show. So stay tuned. So Liverpool entertain the mighty cherries at the weekend. Jeff and Tony are prepping their mics and they're going to talk us through the game shortly. But sandwiched in before that, here's a little bit of media reaction followed by your fan thoughts too. Okay, so we're here with uh, Richard and also Mark that you've uh, heard on the podcast before. How are you feeling about the game today? Um, I think if we can hold them for half an hour, you never know because the fans will get on their back. But I just worry that they're angry and they're going to want to come back to something. Disappointed, no king, um, because he wasn't injured after Chelsea. He was angry going off. And I'm surprised Lerma's playing with the risk of the yellow card. But yeah. You never know. They're not I'm resting here. their Fab Three, are they today? Which is uh, I think the phrase. Scary. Is, I think the phrase is hope rather than expectation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. just saying to Mark, the worst scenario is do what we did at Burnley. You have a brilliant 20, 25 minutes, but just don't take our chances. Yeah. And that's always the danger. Sometimes we're not clinical enough, are we? Yeah. And I think we we miss that with Harry Wilson. I was saying that like Harry Wilson, regardless of what he gives off the ball and things like that, he scores goals. And without him in the team, we've lost one of our top scorers. So. Yeah. If we can, yeah, we just need, like you say, we need to take our chances. Yeah. If we do, then you never know. But if we don't, then their front three are going to have a party today. I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's have a look then at the games that are still to come for them. They're not easy, but they've beaten Man U this season. They've beaten Chelsea this season. They've got to go and find a way to pick up the pick up the points. I do worry for them. Uh, that hasn't changed after this game. But what I did see today is there was fight, there was spirit, they, 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 had, they had good players, they were, they were constantly in the game against the European champions and I think there were very, very good signs today and I think there are winnable games but... Um, Which ones? The first one? Newcastle. 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 Southampton. Southampton. Possibly Everton away. If they got those nine points, that would be, what, give them, what 36? That 36 would have kept them up the last two seasons. It'll be in and amongst it. Again, I, f- I think the big thing for them is, is, is Brooks. If he comes mm. back, I think he's a big player for him. I think Eddie will, will leave the stadium and he, I think he, he feels like he's got a template now for the rest of the season because they, be, they have to just be strong at the back and counter teams because I don't mm. think they've got the confidence. You've seen it on the ball. There was a little bit. They wasn't pop- popping it like they have been in previous years. So you need to be, you need to be strong defensively. Hi, Sam. Jeff, this is... Uh, just walking back through Stanley Park um, following the 2-1 defeat at Anfield 
uh, team selection, I guess one or two surprises again. Seemed to be uh, struggling with a few injuries. Did mention to one or two people that we were chatting to that um, our bench looked the weakest we'd seen in some time. Um, so I really hoped that we wouldn't have to use that too early. Uh, obviously went 1-0 up, scored a you know, very good goal. Uh, Steve Cook's injury proved crucial. Uh, just really feel like we gave them the two goals, both resulting from defensive errors. Uh, stayed in the game, though, uh, even in the second half. Rode our luck a little bit, but we got one or two chances. Obviously, Fraser's cleared off the line by Milner was a, was a great chance. Um, but really, finishing the game with Billing limping, just really down to 10 men almost. Uh, thought overall we did okay. Just hope we can get the team in some sort of shape for Palace next week. Uh, we've got some players to pick from. Hope Cookie's okay. Um, have to wait and see, I guess. Anyway, we're heading back down the motorway shortly and uh, hopefully see you soon. Up the cherries. Hi, it's Ashley here from the, uh, from the main stand. Uh, I suppose yesterday was a tale of what could have been, really. Uh, I thought we started the game really well, particularly as we were away from home. Uh, and if you think about recent events, I thought we deserved a bit of luck um, with our goal. Having said that, we'd have been disappointed, I think, if we're being honest, uh, if we'd been at the receiving end of that, that decision. But anyway, uh, it was a great move. Uh, what I would say on the goal, for me, it was another celebration spoilt by VAR, and you can add that to a, a long list of those sorts of goals this season. Being penned back to one all was absolutely textbook Bournemouth, wasn't it, in terms of gifting the opposition a goal? Um, I do have some sympathy for Simpson. Uh, I would say he's only around the first team because of injuries. Um, he's doing his best. Uh, and he did produce a brilliant clear, clearance a few minutes um, after the goal. Again, for the second goal, <laughs> we gave the ball away cheaply, which was frustrating. Um, I do think in the first half, uh, I thought Adam Smith looked all over the place uh, in, a, in the left-hand channel, and I thought he struggled with Salah's movement. And to me, he's not so comfortable playing on, on, the, uh, on the opposite side. But I guess he's doing a, doing a job for us. Uh, Billing and Jefferson Lerma again were brilliant in difficult circumstances in terms of the quality of the opposition. Stacey again showed a lot of promise and I thought Lewis Cook built on his promising, promising performance from last week. Um, to me he provides some finesse in midfield in terms of his passing but he does lack a bit of athleticism at the moment I think. I don't know if that will improve as he plays more games but sometimes to me he looks like he's running in sand particularly when we get turned. Forgetting the chance that wasn't uh, when he stood on the ball towards the end of the game, I thought Wilson, again, played very well. Uh, lots of desire and he was a real handful. Well, I think we'll stay up. I keep saying that. We're creating chances. I think we're difficult to play at home. I think possibly the points totals at the bottom will be lower this season and perhaps 36, 37 points could be enough. I was thinking towards the end of the game that we can beat Palace, Newcastle and Saints at home and that could be enough. Having said that, the spanner in the works may well be the injuries to Cook and possibly Billing and the fact that we're regularly missing good chances. We will see. Thanks. Right, 
So, it was always going to be a tough ask to get anything from a team who have lost three of their last four games. And with me is Tony, Mr. Tiggs, as he's known on social media. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? You all right? Not too bad, Jeff. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. And Tony, um, it was a 2-1 defeat for Bournemouth. But realistically, did you expect anything other than a defeat from the game? Uh, Realistically, um, no. I mean, I suppose as we got close to the game and looking at their their previous form, that feeling inside started to to build that we could maybe get something, we could do something. Um, and we'll talk about the game, on, I know, in a minute. But uh, yeah, just before kickoff, I was feeling very positive, very positive. Yeah, I must say, having watched Liverpool play against uh, Atletico and Watford, where they didn't really turn up, and then Chelsea, you thought, oh, maybe they've got a bit of a dip going. And... Mm. They were without Henderson. I heard also they were without Allison before kickoff, which, you know, Adrian, after that blunder he made against Chelsea, was, was a cause for optimism. Mm. But we, uh, our team sheet wasn't quite as strong as I expected it to be. I don't know what you thought. Well, it's interesting you say that because obviously uh, King wasn't there, which was a worry. And then I saw that Stanislas was. And I didn't know about the King injury initially. And so my first thought was what you had said earlier in the week when talking about how West Ham had played uh, against Liverpool and how they'd had uh, their wingers tracking uh, back all all the time with the Liverpool wingers. And I thought, well, that may be Stanislas and Fraser. They they could do that. They they could try and track the Liverpool wingers. So at first I thought it maybe was, you know, an amazing Jeff premonition of of a tactical move. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, Eddie listens to the podcast maybe he thought he'd follow it so um apart from that I think we, we went as strong as we could I'm I'm glad that we played Lerma I might not have been saying that if he'd got a yellow card but I am glad we played Lerma because we're in a situation where every single game really is a must-win game uh, you know as far as we, as best we can so um yeah the only disappointment was what happened later in the game in, in terms of who we had on the bench available well, I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the bench because the bench was not the strongest that I've seen it for a long time. And I remember looking at it thinking, crikey, I hope we don't get too many injuries in this one. I said exactly the same thing. I looked at it and um, not only did I think to myself, oh, that, that looks weak. It also looked a little bit, I don't know how to say this, a little bit boring. I, I just thought, who who could come off that bench that could actually, if we needed someone to to spark us back into life. Who could do it? And um, I didn't mm. see anyone, really. Yeah, I think that that was the downside, I think, of both King and Francis not being on the bench. Not that Francis yeah. is a game-changer, but we'll, we'll, we'll come on to why we missed him a bit later. Mm. But also, I, I agree, you know, there wasn't really any sense of anyone who could come on and change the game for us. Uh, Gosling was the man, or Solanke, and... And, you know, you, ju- you just realise how thin the, the squad is with all the injuries we've got at the moment when you look at that and you think, oh, is that the best we can do? Yeah. I suppose the one thing that I did quite like to see was uh, uh, Surridge. Surridge yeah. was on the bench there. And I thought, OK, well, he's probably not going to get a chance in this game, but at least he's now in the match day squad. And yeah. maybe that will give him a chance later on down the line. Um, yeah, we need someone at some point to deputise, don't we, for, for Wilson, I would imagine. Agreed, agreed. So the game starts and early on there's a a little bit of Liverpool attack. But, Mm -hmm. uh, well, nine minutes in, boom, 
We're up, yeah. up the other end of the pitch with a with a rapier-like counter-attack. Uh, Fraser sticks a long ball over the top to uh, Wilson or in Wilson's direction. And mm. uh, was there a shove on Gomez or wasn't there a shove on Gomez? What did you think? Well, it's interesting because just previous to the goal, uh, Wilson had, had a bit of a ticking off of pulling a shirt on Gomez, I think. And then um, Liverpool were, so, were pushed so up. And Ramsdale shouted, out, everyone, push up, push up. We did, the ball came in. And for me, the two of them were very close together. And if it, the goal had gone the other way, I would have been saying that was, that was, a, that was a push. Um, and how things have gone against us previously in terms of VAR decisions, I can't fathom how some of the ones that we have gone against us have gone, and then that doesn't, in, in a weird way. It's like, oh, our luck has changed here. This is our, this is our day. Completely agree. I mean, if that had been Liverpool at our place and they'd have had that attack, the goal would have stood and we'd be all moaning about VAR, saying, well, it's all favouring the big teams. But actually, when you watch it, actually, take VAR out of the equation. I mean, there's a little there's a little bit of contact, but Gomez does two things, I think, that 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 make the ref think that's not a foul. One, he doesn't fall over, which he possibly should have done. Mm. Not that I'm one for gamesmanship, but if that was Adam Smith, he falls over and gets the free kick. <laughs> he does. And, and, and secondly, I think he was a little bit off balance and nervous that Callum was there. And it, it, he he kind of stumbles a bit, even without the shove. Mm. So, you know, I think fair play to the ref for playing on, because in the 1970s or 80s, that is not a foul and we play on. Um, yeah. Today, I was amazed, like you... Uh, but the ball gets squared by Wilson over to Billing, who, a bit, a bit reminiscent of last week, I felt, with Stacey on the overlap, except this time it's Lerma, and mm. um, Liverpool don't defend it very well. I think one of the players on their team that uh, that was called in was Milner to play left-back, and instead of going with Lerma, the runner, he just sticks in front of Billing. Lerma gets mm. a, free, a free run to the byline, squares it across. Who's there? Callum Wilson, fresh from his uh, <laughs> fresh from his uh, altercation with Gomez, sticks it in the far post. One nil Bournemouth. I mean, I couldn't quite believe it. I don't know about you. I thought, whoa, pinch myself. No, no, I couldn't believe it either. Uh, it was it was a hold your breath moment, and then that was the whole. Is it going to be uh, ruled out? Um, but yeah, an incredible start to the game, a wonderful link up between those players. Um, great to see Billing and Lerma pushing forward at the same time, um, knowing that that Cook's still there as well. It felt to me like we had a bit of a game plan. I don't know about mm. you, but there wasn't too much playing out from the back going on. It was more, if we get the ball, look for Wilson Long, look in behind their full-backs and try and exploit that space. And that that goal actually was the game plan played perfectly. Yeah, it's a shame we couldn't keep that game plan up. <laughs> we'll get to the other goals later. Well, perhaps the most um, decisive. Actually, after that goal, and we're we're one nil up, mm. and, and the 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 VAR uh, process gets uh, played through, the goal stands. Uh, we then still keep attacking, earn a corner, the ball gets swung in, and Nathan Ake rises like a salmon. <laughs> connects, yes, he does. Connects with it on the meat of his forehead, and Adrian makes a bit of a meal of it because it does come straight at him, but tips it onto the bar. And honestly, either side of him, we could have been two 0 up, couldn't we? Yeah, there's been a few of those opportunities throughout this season where um, it's 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 centimeters, isn't it, between uh, it hitting the goalkeeper's gloves and it being a goal. 
Um, and at that point, I really started to realise that as a goalkeeper, he didn't look very confident on that on that day, uh, Adrian. And I wondered, this is how we're going to get at these, isn't it? He he's he's always having to push and uh, punch the ball away. He's not happy about catching it. Um, yeah. But fantastic from Ake to, to rise above and, and get ahead on it. How he is such of a threat. I mean, I know he's not short, but at the same time, he's not that tall. But he leaps so high. Mm. It was a terrific jump. And uh, I wondered, how much of it did you think was Liverpool playing badly and lacking confidence and being a bit nervy? How much of it was us playing well? Well, that's an interesting question. I think, um, I could, I'd say it's probably more in our favour at the moment. We were in the ascendancy in, in the match. I don't think it was them playing badly. I think their confidence, rightly, was a bit shaky and a bit low. But they didn't really get much of a sniff for the next sort of 10, 15 minutes. So um, I'd like to think it was us playing to what we know. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a bit of a mix. I mean, they were a little bit shakier than I've seen them recently, but I thought we were playing well. We were hitting the ball really mm. nicely, passing crisply. We weren't messing around, and it was encouraging. I thought the midfield three in particular, Billing, Lerma and Cook, seemed to be playing really well. So lots of hope and confidence. But then, of course, Liverpool get a first attack, which was um, ball lofted through for Firmino, Ramsdale mm. makes a fantastic save and then crucial uh, part of the game which Eddie has since called the hammer blow Steve yeah. Cook goes to clear bicycle kicks it away but uh, does his hammy at the same time what was your what was your take on that incident I I just could I just kept thinking he's going to get up in a minute he's going to get up in a minute yeah. he'll be he'll be absolutely fine uh, and then he did get up and he was sort of limping and then it was it was evident wasn't it that what he did um, there would, would rule him out. And unfortunately, it sounds like longer than we would hope. And I would put money on 99.9% of Bournemouth fans saying, God, I wish we'd had Frano to come on. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Completely. And the decision that Eddie made, you, know, you look at the bench and you can understand why he made it. I think it was such a brave decision to make. Another manager might say, do you know what? I'm going to change my system round. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a well I'm you know Billing or Lerma back I I'm gonna play f- you know an extra man at the back, um, but Eddie, as we know you know he'd been working on that all week he would be working on it with Simpson, playing that role probably the wrong side of the centre back pairing but um, and he, he has to put trust in those players. Now if we go back to the start of December where we played Liverpool at home, a certain Nathan Ake pulled a hammy against Liverpool, chasing a, a through ball to Mane. And it was very reminiscent, I thought, because we were in that yeah. game up until that incident. And was it Simpson who came on in that game? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. And from a Liverpool perspective, and, you know, I think, you know, he's a young guy and, he, and he's, you know, he's playing against the best team in the world. But from a Liverpool perspective, they've got to be thinking to themselves, oh, I remember this guy from last time. We can get at him. And it was rather unfortunate that, what, five minutes later... In fact, before that, he plays a, a pass out from the back straight to a Liverpool striker. Um, and then just a minutes later... I mean, he was obviously nervous. You know, we shouldn't be mm. too harsh on him. But uh, gets the ball, bad touch. Then is left with only either take it round Manet or welly it into <laughs> orbit. Yeah. Decides to try and play the football game, which is the Bournemouth way. Um 
Mane nicks the ball off him. And even at that point, there was still a bit to do because Mane actually overhits his yeah. pass, doesn't he, to, to Salah? Yeah, behind, yeah. But I think if you look at the difference, I mean, Salah is a tremendous player, but what really impresses me about him is when he's in that sort of position, the number of times that strikers of an equivalent sort of level of experience would be happy just to hit the target. Salah amazes me by the number of times he finds the bottom corner. Yeah. And he hits it through Lerma's leg. The only place there, Ramsdale can't get it, I'd say. Can't um, see it. Can't see it. And, and you know, we're, we're suddenly 1-1 and all of a sudden the Liverpool crowd starts being, you know, a bit more upbeat and it, it feels like here we go again. Yeah, it really did. Um, and, you know, it's got to be said as well, they were pressing us hard throughout the game. And I think the break in play, as much as the change of Simpson, the break in play that, that you know, we had to start for the injury, it gave them a chance to regroup. We were reliant, I think, on keeping that tempo going until we got that second goal, which we were coming close to doing. Um, so I think it was more the fact that we had to stop that yeah. gave them the confidence to, to, to push on and, and really get at us. It was a massive disruption and, and I felt really sorry for the boys because we'd started so well um, and and quickly afterwards, we're again, we're trying to play some pretty patterns in midfield. Lewis Cook loses the ball. It's a turnover on the halfway line. Van Dijk plays it through and Mane is one-on-one, buries it. It, it was such a depressing 10 minutes of play really. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Lewis Cook. I really am, and I, you know, I can see his value. He he does so much, you know, in terms of creating things for us. But where we we were just starting to get a little bit of confidence, just starting to string some places passes together, and his confidence almost turned into cockiness with with that little flick. And it's such a shame because you could see on another day that might work. It was a bit like in the last game where he, you know, him with that little nutmeg. Uh, went on to, to create a goal for us in, on another day, maybe something like that would. Um, but it did feel gutting. And I could see from Eddie's expression and his body language, oh, why did that happen? What, you know, why have we put ourselves in this situation? And at the point where Van Dijk plays that ball, what did you think of that defensive line that we had? Yeah, well, you know, substitutions <laughs> affect your back line. And... Um, you could see them looking quite bewildered at each other after the ball went in. Uh, who, who was supposed to be picking up who there? I don't really know. Mm, it it looked like, again, the whole sort of sense of disorganisation that the, mm. the Steve Cook injury had caused kind of played into Liverpool's favour. And it, the, the sad thing was it took us 10, 15 minutes to sort that out. And from that point on, I don't know about you, but I didn't really feel Liverpool had too much threat going forwards. No, and I, I remember thinking that at the time, but then I thought, well, this is this is the way they want to play now, isn't it? They think they've won this game. They're not going to give us... They're not going to push onto us um, until we show them a threat, um, which we sort of did later on. Well, didn't you think Sanisas was pretty lively on that flank? You know, he, he was causing them problems. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. And um, for him to come in for King... And for us to put so much hope in King, for him not to be there, Sanchez brilliant, easily, easily showed, you know, the kind of player that he used to be. I'll be honest, when he started having to, you know, track back and run, you know, I was always worried. I, I am always worried about Sanchez. As great a player he is, that he will pull something, he'll injure something, 
Um, but credit to him, he created probably more than anyone else that we had on that pitch. And he had a really decent effort when he cut inside and uh, mm. Adrian again showed that he's a little bit flaky. The ball was pretty much straight at him and he, he sort of punched it away for a corner, which was a bizarre, bizarre thing to do. Um, but you just felt we were still in the game. We got to half-time and even though we were 2-1 down, we, we had chances and we were playing well. Yeah, and, you know, again, Adrian, he looked so shaky, didn't he? He, he you know, he... The choices that he was making as a goalkeeper made me think, "Cool, you know, we can def- we will get another chance here. We will get another really good chance. That goalkeeper will make a mistake. We will get back into this game." So the second half started, and Liverpool were playing a bit slowly, a bit pedestrian, almost like they mm. were sitting on that two-one and trying not to overexert themselves, which, mm. which, which felt a little odd because. It, we were threatening when we did have the ball and they surely must have been worried that they might concede a second, but they didn't go to kill us off. Um, and we get a, a chance where Billing plays a through ball to Fraser on about 60 minutes. Do you want to talk us through what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was an amazing effort uh, by Fraser. But the thing that really caught my eye was Billing and that ball. And he just looks... And I know it's, it's, it's a part of his style of pain, but he looks so casual the way he just pinged that ball over, lofted it over um, and, you know, the wee man to try and lift it over the goalkeeper. Again, Adrian was so far out. Um, I Again, I thought, this is it. This is definitely the chance. Um, and then from nowhere, Mr Milner arrived uh, with a almost acrobatic clearance, uh, which is a real shame. I thought the ball was in. Watching it live, I was I was willing it to to go in. It just needed a bit more pace. Maybe it got held up in the the wind was a little bit blustery, and it was <laughs> yeah it, maybe it, it just take took an age to come down, which gave Milner that chance. I thought to to make the clearance. Although what was there was about two three feet from the line. I mean, fantastic mm. to clear it from that position. Um, watching it again, I did wonder whether Fraser gets taken out a bit by Adrian, and maybe. If he just yeah. knocks the ball past him, maybe they might get the pen. Um, but you know, it, 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 you're right, Philip Billing, what a player! And we've had comments about him on the pod here. Um, mm. I know a lot of fans have thought, you know, he looks far too casual and languid for his own mm. own good sometimes. But yesterday, he was a star man. A number of times, he was breaking up play, getting forward, getting back. What an engine! And he, he was superb yesterday. I thought, real standout. Yeah, I think he is in the mould of kind of it, you know, an ideal, almost box to box, to box, isn't he? I mean, he's doing everything now, and I think when he plays a good game, that's what he does. He does a little bit of everything. When previously, I've always wondered if we are asking too much of him. You know, maybe he's better off just having one job at a time. But fair play for Eddie for sticking with it and you know introducing more elements into his game, asking more of him because. I think now the last three four games we're trying to, we're starting to see the billing that you know we had right at the beginning of the season again. So um, yeah, really exciting. And after that uh, Fraser chance, which felt like that was the chance, the, mm-hmm. the game sort of meandered a bit. You know, I was kept looking at the the clock, thinking how come it, how come another ten minutes have gone because nothing's really happened. Um, I mean, Mane did hit the post, uh, the sort of post crossbar bit, didn't he, from a, a speculative yeah. drive? But uh, there, there wasn't too much going on. Rambo made a decent save from from Salah as well. But honestly, it it felt like 
we're just waiting for that last five minutes to to give it one more go or a set piece, really. Yeah, I think Ake had, a, had another headed uh, opportunity. Um, but on, on Mane, and, you know, obviously a, a very gifted, incredible player, how he got through that game without a yellow card, I, I, I've noted down there were at least three times where he, um, you know, he did a foul on Lerma, he didn't get a card for that, there was a handball, he didn't get a card for that. Um, yeah, surprising, actually. I think the refereeing, um, he, because he let the Wilson challenge go, he let a lot <laughs> go in that match. And mm. a number of times, there was a there was an incident in that second half where Callum got shoved in the back by Gomez, for which would have been a 20-yard free kick. The ref plays on. Yeah. A, a bizarre. And that, you're right, that incident where Lerner got fouled about three times and finally... After the fourth yeah. time, he, he actually gave the foul. Um, but he seemed to be very lax on shoves and, and pushes, probably because he realised that he'd made a, a bit of a pig's ear of that uh, VAR decision early on. Yeah, yeah I think you're probably right. Um, I think at this point as well, Solanke came on for mm. Stanislas, which I thought, why is he doing that? And then I looked at the bench and remembered that actually, <laughs> you know, what other options does he have? Someone who can play that kind of role. Yeah, maybe Surridge might have been a better option. I don't know what you think. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how well he can... I mean, really, it was, you know, square peg, round hole, wasn't it? To put him on the left. Um, I don't know. Hard well, he, on that. It seemed It seemed that he put him on the left for about 10 minutes and then he yeah. reverted to playing four four two after after that wasn't really making any, any headway. And I struggled to remember a significant contribution from Solanke, save one... Uh, mm-hmm. where he knees billing in the back. Oh, do you know what? If he was wearing a red shirt, that would be a red card, wouldn't it? I mean, that was an <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awful... <laughs> I don't really understand it. And now, the thing is as well now, and I, I laugh about it, but if billing is injured now, going into the next game, and or maybe more, and you've got Lerma, you know, clock ticking on that yellow card, um, oh, wouldn't that be awful? Mm. It would. Um, we'd already used, uh, obviously, Simpson had come on for Steve Cook. Gosling uh, came on in the second half to replace Lerma, probably yeah. to save him for the, the next match. And then, yeah, Solanke makes not a lot of difference, but could potentially take Billing out of the next game. And suddenly we're back to bare bones again. Adam Smith was hobbling by the end as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah. I was looking at the post-match review of injuries. Cook likes is going to obviously be out for a few weeks with a with a hamstring. Francis travelled with the squad but has a, a knee swelling, so that hopefully yeah. won't be too serious because, I mean, he's in the back four, I'd say, next week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, we do need that. I think we need that three-man midfield of Billing, Lerma and Cook against Palace because actually it's now beginning to function like a proper midfield three. It is and, and you know as you alluded to a second ago later on in the game there was another chance where Cook played in Solanke or it looked like he was going to and he just didn't have the engine did he to, to no. catch the ball. No, no. So it gets to the, the sort of final minutes and um, we have the ball down the right-hand side. Stacey takes the ball past Milner, gets tripped. The referee gives a free kick. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk us through what happens next? Sounds like a question uh, of sport, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, 
uh, Ake obviously uh, was played in. Uh, he crossed the box there. Everyone thought he was offside for one. Saw Callum, crossed the box to Callum and just under his studs. You know, I've seen him do this before. It was almost as though he didn't expect the ball to come to him in some ways. Um, and, you know, then we play on from a... Well, we go to an offside, don't we? Which is so frustrating because it wasn't offside. Uh, I didn't think so. Having looked at it again, clearly Ake is behind the 18-yard the line with his feet. But I wondered whether if that did go to a VAR check, his little finger was probably <laughs> a bit further forward than the Liverpool defender on the far side. So, yeah. you know, even though I looked at it first time and thought, he's onside, he's onside. And then I'm screaming at him, score, because he could have taken that onto his left and knocked it in past the keeper. Mm. But instead he squares it across. And in fact, Callum is screaming for the ball. So I know you think, how, did his, how does he miss that? Maybe he wasn't expecting it, but... Mm. He was screaming for the ball. He knew what he, yeah, he was. I think he'd almost like passed it into the net before yeah. the ball had come to him. It was one of those. So, I mean, whatever happened, we miss it. Uh, they get one more chance where Firmino blasts over from uh, six yards and game over, we lose 2-1. And uh, really strange mixture of feelings. Yeah, I really, I mean, it's one of those, isn't it? Immediately afterwards, you, you, you're gutted, especially with that chance so near the end. Um, after a little bit of time and a little bit of thought, you know, before talking to you, I do I do feel that, um, and I don't want to sound like uh, we couldn't have got something because we blatantly could have, but we're not going to look back as this is the game that, that cost us, um, you know, our place in the league. If it comes to that, let's hope it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, it, it was a weird feeling because going into the game, I thought this is where Liverpool bounce back and win three or four nil, and it's quite comfortable. Everybody before the game was talking about how we didn't have a chance, we're on such mm. a bad run, blah blah blah. We actually play really well. We can see two goals through individual errors. They don't create a whole lot else. We get the luck of the VAR and we score a goal through it, and then we end up on the on the wrong end of a 2-1 defeat and it felt a bit deja vu to me that that seems to have happened i did a count back this morning eight times i reckon we've lost by an odd goal this season where we should really? have got at least a point and you can you can put in that palace game when they were down yeah. to 10 men for eight, for 80 odd minutes or whatever it was uh there has been the 2-1 against wolves where we had chances and individual mistakes cost us in that one as well Sheffield United most recently mm. um, it, it, it's been a bit of a pattern Newcastle again we were playing well but only scored once when we were on top and not twice and of course famously Norwich Norwich which was a defensive calamity um, and and Spurs as well you could argue where we lose 3-2 but actually gift them a couple of goals in, in to, mm. to give them that 3-0 lead to start with so it does feel like a bit of a pattern and I, I worry that perhaps the team that that self belief is sadly lacking to when we go ahead number one to actually score to make it two and number two that we've got a defensive line capable of keeping a clean sheet. Yeah, and I suppose to, to to give it balance, I completely agree with you. That defensive line has not been consistent though, has it? Um, you know, we keep chopping and changing who's in that back four. Um, it's never it's never going to work because I because 
they are reliant upon communication, aren't they? You know, mm. if they can't communicate well together because they're not playing with each other. I know that sounds like a bit of an excuse, but I would like to see how many times we've changed that back line because it's got to be more than anyone else, surely. Oh, that's a that's a really good point, and and arguably he still doesn't really know what his best back four is, no. even even with the players that uh, that have been missing. You know, would he play uh, Kelly? Would he play Daniels at left back? Do you think? I don't know, and and. Steve Cook and Simon Francis without Mepham, even with Mepham, does he play Mepham? I don't think so. Um, mm. it, it's really interesting and uh, whatever happens next season, that back four feels like it should have been stronger this season, but yeah. j- just just still too leaky for me. Um, yeah. I always, I always wonder, you know, I think every season for four seasons, we've got a new left back in. And we've been concentrating on that left back position, but look at the rest of the the back. You know, f- for lots of this season, we've had Francis, we've had Cook, we've had Smith. So, you know, we've been concentrating on replacing that left side because we know that Charlie Daniels is not going to be able to go on forever. And we, you know, he has got injured this season, but the rest of the back line, we haven't replaced players a lot. Mm. You know, we got Mings in, but Mings went and he didn't really play. Ake, obviously, probably the best player to ever play for us, a lot of people would say. But um, refreshing that defence has been a, a, a struggle, a problem. Mm. And I would say that the right-back position, Jack Stacey, I was impressed mm-hmm. with him again yesterday. He looks he yeah. looks really good. Um, and aside from um, Billing, I thought there were other really good performances. You mentioned Stanislas, but uh, Fraser played decently yesterday um arguably should have scored stanislas was great wilson mm. scored again which is great for his confidence and looked a menace to gomez throughout the game in fact there was a bit in the center half where he even bullied van dyke off the ball so mm. uh, it, it it's that we're playing well the performances are there we're just not getting the results and that's the frustration isn't it yeah it completely is um and it is i mean it's interesting when you lose a game and you look back and you go, oh, who was my man of the match there? Because I'm finding it actually quite hard to pick. Um, I don't know. Ake was fantastic and always is. But Stanislas, for me, to come in um, and play like that, albeit for not the whole game, um, fantastic. So for me, he's my man of the match. Have you decided who yours is, Jeff? Well, game? I think Billing, for me was was exceptional the pass to Lerma and just the number of times that he was a real pain in the backside in that midfield breaking mm. up play I thought he was great and uh, I've I've slated him a lot early on in the season or in the mid part of the season where he had a bit of a dip but actually mm. he's coming back really strong and I just fingers crossed hope that his, his back is sorted because we uh, we definitely need him so I'd go for for billing but great performance from the boys and um yeah, you know, on to, on to Crystal Palace, eh? On to Crystal Palace. And uh, how did they get on this weekend? Was it, did, they, did they win? So they beat Watford. And mm. I think that was the encouraging thing about yesterday um, was that both uh, Watford and West Ham went down 1-0. Brighton did pick up a point against Wolves. Uh, Southampton lost to Newcastle which brings them a little bit closer as well mm. to the whole relegation minefield so yeah 
you know, it 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 could have been worse yesterday. We um, we put in a decent shift. We end up on the wrong side of a result to the team that's going to win the league, and we're disappointed. So you know, onwards and upwards. Hi, this is the biggin, Steve Fletcher, and you're listening to Back of the Net. I am loving this, just sitting back with my hands behind my head, thinking they did the main part of the match chat. But I tell you what, I um, really enjoyed that. They are just going to sit uh, tight for a few moments whilst um, we play a bit of audio from a recent interview that we did with BBC Radio Science Chris Temple. Of course, he's on AFCB TV, but doing much more besides these days. And we asked him about the coronavirus, the dreaded VAR, and John Williams, his co-commentator. Why is his glass always half full? Check this out. Okay, so welcome to the latest in the Press Pass series here on the podcast. And with me is a familiar face, Mr. Chris Temple. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Sam. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, I would shake your hand, but I don't know if it's allowed yeah, these no, days I think we're with banned. anything that's going on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, people who've seen you and heard you will know you from uh, you know, BBC Radio Solent, obviously doing the stuff at AFCB TV every now and again, um, also on BBC South Today. But in the last few years, it seems, um, you've gone a completely different direction. You're, you're <laughs> travelling the world doing all sorts. Can you tell me a bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so... Uh, uh, so 2018 summer, I went freelance from from the BBC. So I do I do Bournemouth now as a freelance uh, gig a couple of days a week. So yeah. um, as we're speaking here, I've just done Eddie's press conference on a Friday morning, which is a regular gig, and then Saturday matches as well. Mm. Um, and then the rest of the time is a lot of varied stuff, a lot of event event work. Um, so for example, this summer I'm doing the Euros um, at Wembley. Um, Obviously, I'm the, now the England announcer for Wembley as well, which is great. Yes, doing the Olympics, um, so just yeah, a lot of a lot of varied event stuff, really. Um, a lot of stuff I wasn't able to do when I was BBC staff, for yeah. sort of a you know contractual reasons, and B because I didn't have enough time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's freelance life, as anyone will tell you, is uh, yeah. is up and down yeah, to say right. the least. January was a bit quiet because <laughs> when nothing's happening, but that's where the football's great because obviously the winter is very busy from a football point of view. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a really good mix and I don't have any regrets at the moment about yeah. making the freelance jump. Obviously you've got a role that's very close to the club, um, you commentate on every game for Radio Solent etc and uh, you know sometimes as I said earlier you know doing bits for the club as well. Um, I've seen previously, not so much this season, but um, a lot of journalists have maybe come under a bit of pressure from fans to ask certain questions you know to the management. I remember when Lewis Cook wasn't playing for quite a while there were a lot of fans saying you know like why don't you ask this is it very difficult to ask questions that maybe don't want to be answered um it's i would say as a we're in a slightly different position to uh, match of the day and sky sports and people as, as a local media outlet we're who come to the club every single week um you're having to see the same people every single week you can't go in all guns blazing because no. they'll just say we don't want to talk to you yeah. uh, which is counterproductive um, that's not to say you know you don't have editorial justification at times to ask certain things what I won't do is every single week ask Eddie why didn't you play him or didn't play him mm. because you do that every week yeah. and, and every week you know there'll be he'll just say he'll get frustrated by saying I've, what I've seen on the training ground is that I wanted to play him or him and he he's already got frustrated a couple of times when I've asked him why didn't you play X or Y so the, the argument is always that the players who aren't in the team there's always a bigger shout for them being in the team when things aren't going well but to answer your question I, I never feel um, that I uh, have to pussyfoot around Eddie right, yeah. um, I feel like he 
uh, we've sort of managed to gain a, a respect for each other down the years in terms of he knows what my job is. Um, he knows that there'll be questions that have to come at times. Um, but I also think sometimes the the questions that I get battered with on Twitter, why didn't you ask this? You never ask any hard questions. Uh, usually that's the, the sort of emotional, immediate post-match feeling that people are frustrated yeah. by a result or whatever. Um, and you know, so most of the time when I go down after the game, I'm still adrenaline high from the game, win, yeah, yeah. lose or draw. So um, sometimes there will be things that I've just genuinely missed because, mm. you know, in the whole, the crux of the game, sometimes last week I wasn't even, my equipment wasn't even <laughs> yeah. set up and Eddie Howe was in front of me because match of the day were tied up with somebody yeah, else okay, and Sky yeah. Sports were tied up and suddenly I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. So actually you're, you're actually thinking on the hoof there because I've just run downstairs with all my equipment <laughs> in my arms. So that, that happens as well. But yeah, again, to, to summarise your question, um, I understand why people sometimes want harsh questions to be asked um, but it is a, a sort of a, a balancing act between maintaining the respect of people who think you're not just coming in you know firing a shotgun all the time that you yeah. actually you know you understand what they're trying to achieve overall but do you find him quite an open manager to talk to because he seems to be um, very media trained uh, he's got a clever way of closing people down with their line of questioning I find when I'm watching mm. the press conferences um, but what do you think about how open he can get or do you think he's quite guarded in his answers I think he's very clever I think he's, he's very intelligent um, he doesn't want never wants to give anything that can be you know to coin a cliche pinned on a dressing room wall yeah. um, he absolutely doesn't want to give any fuel to any fire about that he's very respectful of other clubs he's very well liked by other clubs as far as I can gather in terms of other managers always speak very highly of him as a guy to deal with mm. um, it's funny I listened to the, the Peter Crouch podcast recently with, mm. with Mike Dean who named Eddie as one of the best managers to deal with um, you know win lose or draw he'll always make his point um, sort of in a gentlemanly manner um, but yeah he, he is pretty canny what I would say is and this is a conversation I've had with Eddie in the past away from the, the sort of day to day media it was a, a lunch we were with and he actually made the point that he uses our interview on, on Radio Solon because he knows that that's often the longer form interview that fans will listen to it does the rounds on social media match of the day will only use a clip Sky Sports will only use a clip newspapers obviously it looks different written on paper than yeah. it does when you actually hear the emotion in someone's voice and he says I often I, I speak a little bit more openly to you guys because I know that fans in the cars are listening to that and that often I can give a bit more context so yeah. rather than speaking in 15 second answers to match of the day so yeah. again he's, he's savvy like that as well have you become a fan um, almost of AFC Bournemouth over the years because you've been you a close relationship yeah I mean I've been working here as you mentioned earlier on for the best part I mean my first game was in 2002 wow. so you know I've been covering the club for the best part of 18 years um, so I think in that time you do of course develop an affinity with the club a lot of people here are still the same you know there's a lot of people who've been here the whole time um, obviously Eddie was a player back then so my relationship with him goes back all the way to then as well um, so yeah I mean I wouldn't say I'm a Bournemouth fan but what I would say is I do have a connection with the club and actually I do you know the other day when I wasn't working on a game I missed the Burnley game I was working elsewhere the first score I looked for at 5 o'clock on Saturday was Bournemouth yeah. not Gillingham that's, yeah that's interesting now obviously uh, Willow is a Bournemouth fan mm. and there are many fans <laughs> that tune into his commentary either via ACB TV or on BBC Radio Solon whereby they think he he's a bit of a glass half full character and uh, likes to always give the benefit of the doubt to the players or the club um, is that difficult to combat sometimes when you know you know you know he's wrong but you've got to almost <laughs> talk him round <laughs> listen I've been trying everything to get him off the fence for, for about 18 years you would need like some sort of tractor and a massive winch to get him off the fence it's very difficult um, again it it comes back to the fact that he is, you know, obviously coached Eddie. Um, is you know, Eddie still talks to him occasionally, you know, away from away from the match day sort of experience. Um, 
So he, you know, you can tell from his commentary, you know, I've had to give him a couple of tickets off recently for shouting down the mic when goals have gone in, which he got out of the habit of doing. But he said, I can't help it. You know, I'm so invested in it. I can't help but get excited. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes I get frustrated like fans will. And he knows it as well. I've told him, I'll tell him all the way to Liverpool later on today as well <laughs> yeah. on the M6 that, you know, sometimes you want a bit more of an opinion from him. But he doesn't want to criticise the lads, which, you know, people will say, well, your job is to do that. But again, the job in this kind of role is... It's sort of a bit of everything. It's a bit of the technical insight. It's a bit of a cheerleader. It's a bit of, you know, um, just generally sort of uh, giving an insight into what the players are going through. So, yes, you know, you listen to our other summarisers, for example, Dave Merrington on Saints is very forthright. Yes, People yes. will say, well, maybe he's got an axe to grind with Saints because of the way things have gone. Guy Whittingham yeah. is much more forthright on Portsmouth. So, yeah, sometimes I listen to them and think, come on, Willow, give yeah. us something a bit more. But then I've told you, you know, even if he watches this, which he won't because he doesn't know the internet at yeah. all, um, then he wouldn't, he, I would have said it to him in person. Well, Chris, thank you very much for no coming. Pleasure, I really Sam. appreciate your thoughts of the cherries. Hi, I'm Michael Botto, making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. So, yeah, great to chat to Chris Temple. And I do uh, regard him very highly in the AFC Bournemouth community. And uh, it's certainly great to have him appearing on the podcast and always good to get his thoughts because, uh, you know, very knowledgeable um, about everything AFC Bournemouth. But behind the scenes, he can give us a lot of, uh, you know, unique information, I think. It's, it's just great to hear from him. And if you want to see the full interview on that, um, go to our YouTube channel. It's about... 22 23 minutes long so there's a lot more than what you've just heard and it's um it's really great to hear some behind the scenes stuff um from one of my favorite commentators actually uh, so yeah go to youtube.com slash afcb podcast or just follow the link on our twitter bio so jeff and tony they're prepping their mics they're nearly ready next is palace Feeling. Right, Tony, the Eagles, not sure if you're a big fan of their stuff. We're hoping Saturday night will give us a peaceful, easy feeling. <laughs> and hopefully we won't be saying we've got heartache tonight. Who, who writes this rubbish? <laughs> Gee, must be, must be that Sam Davis fellow who's not here. Yeah, I've, yeah, it must be. It must well be him. <laughs> yeah, I think he enjoyed his trip up there. I think he probably did, yeah. He's probably doing a Beatles tour as we speak. Hopefully we'll have loads of puns from them in the next episode. Right, um... So it's going to be a tough encounter and they're against a side who've, um, who we've had a few ding-dongs with over the mm. time in the Premier League. Um, they're on the back of a, a couple of uh, 1-0s. Tony, do you, what, what do you think about Palace as, a, as an opponent for us this, uh, this weekend? They're surprisingly always quite good, aren't they, when we go to play them? I always look at that fixture and think, oh, that's, we can get three points there and it's always a bit of a struggle. I think their manager is, is very capable, isn't he, uh, Roy Hodgson? He's, he's uh, consistently proving um, a bit of a thorn in Eddie's side. Um, although I did hear uh, about, uh, with the coronavirus and players not being able to shake hands, that they are considering banning over 70s from, from stadiums. That was one of the things that was, I'm sure it's not seriously considered, but it was one of the things that was thrown up as a suggestion in a meeting, apparently. Either that or it's just newspapers talking, uh, which would, so, would, would put Mr. Hodgson straight in there, wouldn't he? He, would, he wouldn't be in the, in, allowed in the stadium for the game. It, it would be a unique way to get a touchline ban, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be, yeah. yeah. But he's, he's, he is renowned for organisation, 
And when we played Palace earlier this year and they had a player sent off, it uh, it felt like we were never going to score even if we played, you know, 300 minutes against them because he had them so well set up yeah. as a 10. And they were very difficult to beat. And they may not have the greatest uh, talent on show, save for one player who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But mm. um, but they do get the best out of the, the players that get on the pitch, don't they? Yeah, they really do, and I they are always set up so well. Um, we'll they'll be professional, won't they? Apart from maybe a bit of diving, but again, we'll get onto that later. Um, but I think we can get at them, can't we? Surely, I mean, you said earlier, um, must-win game. Every game is a must-win game, isn't it at the moment? And I'm I'm looking forward to the day when we can say that it's it's not a must-win game. The next game. I'm looking forward to it too. Um, what do you think then the Cherries team is going to be? Uh, well, we've got to assume that Cook's gone. You know, he's going to be off for a, a couple of weeks. I'm hoping Billing's all right. Um, so I think we'll be pretty much the same. No Cook, unfortunately. Hopefully Francis will come in for him. Uh, and then maybe if King's back, um, I can see him. I can see him and Stanislas sharing sharing the role that they currently play because I don't think either man is completely match fit um, and I think we'd be foolish to push King to play the whole game so I think he'll have either Stanislas on the pitch with King on the bench or King on the pitch with Stanislas on the bench but apart from that uh, pretty much unchanged the one wild card would be Harry Wilson wouldn't it and whether he sees value in, in playing him he'll probably get your goals but throughout the season, he's not adapted, obviously, to our style of play, and, and you know sometimes he can be go he can go missing a little bit in games. So it depends really what Eddie thinks we're going to be up against. I think the four five one that he's played the last couple of games seems to have given us some good attacking options. I mean, we've actually created both goals. Mm. Last two goals have been down the right hand side. Feel feels like the old flowing cherries. Yeah. Um, rather than just having to rely on a set piece. So I, I agree with you. I think he'll probably keep the same shape. Mm-hmm. Although Palace, what do we think they're going to do and how how are they going to line up? Well, I'm not really sure. I, I think the thing about them is they do it. They can adapt, can't they? I'm pretty sure that was a, a thing I read a little while ago um, to different formations. But no, um, I don't really worry too much about them. I'm not going to. I want I want us to be taking the honest. Because the, the, you know, the honest... The thing about us is that the first 20 minutes is our best 20 minutes of the game, isn't it? You know, consistently over the last month or so, we really get at teams in that beginning. Um, And if we can get one, two goals at the beginning of that game, I don't think it will matter because I think that's, that's what we need in order to win games. We need to be winning from the start. That's on my wish list. Two goals in the purple patch rather than than just the one because that, uh, that's been a pattern that, hasn't been great great for us only scoring one when we're on top so let's get a two goal lead that was great against uh, Villa mm. uh, we managed to hold out for a 2-1 in that one even down to 10 men so let's hope for that um, Palace as an attacking force I think they're going to sit deep and I think they'll probably look to hit Benteke as a target man um, it'll be a handful because he's a big sizable mm. guy um, and they'll probably look to release Zaha on the break and he is clearly the one that every team worries about. Do you think? Do you think he's overrated, or do you think he deserves that that amount of attention that he gets? 
I think he's. I think he has earned it. What I would say is, uh, I had him in my fantasy team from the beginning of the season, uh, which I don't follow anymore because I did so poorly. Um, and he wasn't doing very well at all. So I think teams are so aware of him this season um, that I think he can be nullified, definitely. And he'll be coming up against Jack Stacey, probably, who's playing well. Um, it might limit Stacey going forward to have to worry about Zaha, but hopefully Eddie will have a plan to to cope with him. Yeah, and I think if we've got five along sort of through that middle, then it allows someone like Jefferson Lerma to come over and give Stacey a hand as well, um, sort of tuck, tuck behind him as he goes forward, which I've seen us do a few times. Um, so, yeah, I think Stacey should still be, and he needs to get forward, doesn't he? Because I think that's why he's playing there. But let's be honest, you know, he has the ability to do it. Um, Eddie wants us, has always wanted us to play with attacking wing backs. Um, so it will be key that he can do that. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't really think that we'll be changing anything because of one player. The one thing that does worry me is if Palace play with a defensive mindset, with a kind of low block, um, which was what caused us all those problems when we played at uh, Selhurst Park earlier. So I'm I'm in total agreement with you. We need to get wingers and full-backs forward, get behind them, mm. pull the ball back for, for Callum and Kingy to stick the ball in the back of the net, and that's the way we're going to win it, I think. Yeah, and they're not Liverpool, so you know, let's let's press their back line. You know, when they're on the ball, let's see Callum, as he has done previous game, Fraser, closing down their defenders, um, because I think we can easily have an opportunity through that. Right, so I'm going to press you for a score, Tony. What's it going to be? I think um, I'm feeling good. I think if we play the way we've been playing against other teams, um, you know, and they're going to play defensively, we're going to trouble them, we're going to worry them, and I think we're going to win 2 0. 2 0. Okay, well, you go 2 0, I'll go 2 1, because I think they might score. Um, but yeah, let's hope for a, a, a victorious Saturday to put us all in a good mood for the, the next few games. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Tony, and thanks uh, for coming on. It's been great to have your insight on all things AFCB. We always like to be positive on the podcast, and hopefully, we'll be able to keep that positive vibe going with a much needed three points to take Bournemouth away from the awful drop zone. Mm. Up the cherries. Up the cherries. Some brilliant work there from Jeff and Tony. Um, got to say, expertly done, and um, yeah, guided us through that Liverpool match and also the Palace preview um, with consummate professionalism. I've got to say, it's always nice to have different voices on the podcast. If you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I can do a bit of that, then please get in touch because. Um, well, we'd love to have you as a voice on the show, whether it's a, a fan thought after the game, uh, like Ashley does, like Jeff does, or an extended match chat, which we usually record on the Sunday, whether it's in person, live, at the Barking Cat, over a coffee, over Skype, whatever, we'll do it. Um, it's good to vary up the voices, and we want to be this collaborative approach um, that basically um, makes it easier for us, but also um, provides more people with the platform to give their opinions rather than just this sort of, you know, 240 character tweets or whatever. Um, Right, of course, uh, before we see out the show, earlier 
we asked you three questions as part of Do You Remember? Uh, there was a Liverpool connection this week, OVS, and it contained a certain Mr Jamie Redknapp. So these are the answers. Uh, so how much money was Jamie signed for in 1991? It was, drum roll, £350,000, which, look at that, thinking, that's actually a decent amount of money there. Um, who was the manager that signed him? It was Kenny Dalglish, but the first manager to play him was Graham Souness. So um, well done to you if you got those right, and you can have a gold star. Um, This week is really exciting. We're going to be chatting to BDO darts legend Scott Mitchell. I cannot wait for that. So if you've got any questions for him, obviously there'll be a darting connection, but obviously it's, it's going to be AFC Bournemouth related too. Um, I'll be going over and seeing him uh, in the week. If you've got any questions, do get in touch. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we would kindly ask if you're able to, to go over to your podcast app and leave a review for us. This podcast is completely free and whilst you can donate some money via our Buy Me A Coffee link which can be seen on our Twitter profile, if you can't do that then we would certainly love to have your opinion on the podcast, five stars or whatever you think of it, whichever platform you listen to please leave a review because they help to boost our profile. About a 20th of all listeners have managed to do this for us so far so if you're if you're one of the 95% that hasn't then please get on board this week if you can as your help is always noted and appreciated. Um, also I did mention last week we are also on the You Are The Media podcast um, with the amazing Mark Masters. Um, great insight into all things digital but Running a side project, that was a podcast that I was featured on. There was a 15-minute chat with me and Mark in the um, Little Red Roaster in Ashley Cross. And it's all about what I do. So it's it's sort of behind the scenes on back of the net. Uh, Good chat over a flat Y. It is hard what we do, but trying to get more people involved certainly will make it easier. So if you can help in any way, shape or form, do get in touch. Um, God, so much housekeeping. Remember also that the Cherries Legends live event is happening on April the 2nd at the Village Hotel. We did speak about it last week on the podcast, but I've heard that there are not many tickets left now. So if you want to see Steve Jones, Luther Blissett and Paul Morell talking all things cherries and a lot more besides, then visit afcbpodcast.com slash legends to secure your seat. So that is just about it. We'll see you next Monday on the pod after hopefully what will be three vital points against Crystal Palace. But until then, have a good week. And you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Of the penalty area, here's Billing on his right foot, not his stronger side. Lerma outside him, here's Jefferson Lerma, yeah! and here's a goal for Callum Wilson. The flag stays down in the six yard box, eight minutes gone. Lerma sets it up, Callum Wilson silences the cop, and Bournemouth might be piling on Liverpool's misery. It's Liverpool nil, Bournemouth one. Podcast Network.